Welcome, Welcome to the Life Cycle Lady Podcast, so today's the podcast place to be to discover really a deeper connection to your whole self. My name is Julie Hughes, and I'm your host. This podcast my is my answer and teaching to the deep connection of working with women for over two decades my own and seeing life. how similar our internal so whispers all three are. Had this really I explore topics thread. that shine a light on these whispers, and that so women speak to me as a professional, and bring a voice to it in this space. This podcast explores the whole of us. And gives you real life mind body spirit tools to bring into your life to like create my own internal life or on the inside out. out right and so you can find more about the work that i'm up to or lifecyclelady.com put into words you enjoy the episode um and to share the wisdom i guess that that i feel like is is arising and alive for me to share so the thread that i'm really seeing put in really simplistic terms is all about vulnerability and emotions and how these two things are really seen as um, by many people as bad or a weakness maybe even culturally right and how my view of these two things of vulnerability and emotions and seeing them as this kind of bad is really a way to disconnect us from the inside of ourselves and really disconnect us from the outside with others. So that's what this podcast is going to be about. So stay tuned. It's going to be another little bit of story time and also just um, maybe some technique I think I'm going to share. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Life Cycle Lady podcast, the place to be to discover a deeper connection to your whole self. My name is Julie Hughes, and I'm your host. This podcast is my answer to the deep connection of working with women for over two decades and seeing how similar our internal whispers are. I explore topics that shine a light on these whispers that women speak to me as a professional and bring a voice to it in this space. This podcast explores the whole of us and gives you real life mind, body, spirit tools to bring into your life to create more whole and alive from the inside out. You can find more about the work that I'm up to over on thelifecyclelady.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so I think I want to maybe start expanding on this idea of vulnerability and emotions as discon- being disconnected. So when I'm thinking of the words, when I'm thinking about being vulnerable, right, and people often see this as a weakness, is, is one of the biggest things I hear, vulnerability as a weakness, and I'll share my story in a minute about that. Um, but I, I would say kind of culturally or the vast majority of the people I come across would say that vulnerability is that's a mouthful, that word, vulnerability, um, is a weakness. That sharing and being open with others, being seen by others, um, sharing your uh, maybe shadow or sharing your darkness with others, sharing not just the mask, but actually what's underneath the mask that that can be seen as a weakness. And so to me, what happens when people do that, when they label that as weakness, is they're really judging that inner state, that inner state of vulnerability. 
And when you're judging something, as I've talked about in a previous podcast, judging is really a disconnection, right? So say you're judging this part of yourself that's coming up to be seen, maybe in a group setting or in your family or in, maybe in your work. Um, this this part is coming up to be seen and you're hiding it, right? You're hiding it under the mask and you're showing a different side. And so there's like a incongruency happening. And so whether or not people are seeing that or you're letting people see that underneath, they feel, most people, will feel that incongruency, right? And so they're they're seeing the mask, but they're on some level, some part of them is feeling kind of that what's underneath the surface, right? And so that's now disconnecting you from that person because something is not quite right. Something is, first of all, disconnected in you. You're judging a part of yourself as other. You're othering yourself, which we are taught <laughs> very early on, whether that's conscious or not. We are taught that often, um, and you're also othering other people. There's a disconnection that's happening with other people. And so maybe maybe the best way, maybe the, the reason why these threads were coming is because the best way for me to describe this, I guess, would be through these stories. Because I feel like maybe I'm not being super eloquent right now. Um, so I guess I'm going to start with the most, uh, I don't know, easy, <laughs> if you want to say easy. The easiest, um, less deep, I guess, is is the, the real way I want to say it, um, of the stories. So for those of you that don't know, I also um, have taught and still am teaching, although on a very limited basis, classes for mothers and daughters on the transition of life known as puberty. This program is called Powerful Puberty. And at some point in the class, I sometimes... Um, all classes are different, but I often ask the girls, or it comes up, what, why, I, why do I call this class powerful puberty? And so the girls will give various answers. Um, and then what comes up is, what is this word powerful? What does this word powerful mean? And so I'll get the usual, you know, it means strong. It means, um, it means maybe I've got like hard, um, so strength, um, you know, all of the words that are just not coming to my head right now, because frankly, the last of my stories just happened in the middle of the night tonight, and maybe this isn't the best time to be recording this podcast, but it is the space that I've got, so we're going with it. So you get what I mean. I mean, I think most people could say a plethora of different synonyms for the word powerful, and most of them are quite masculine in origin um, and have something to do with strength or knowledge. I often get knowledge from the girls. So then I'll ask the girls what the word, if they've heard the word, because depending on the age group, it's 9 to 12. Um, the 9-year-olds tend not to know what the word vulnerability means, whereas by 12, I'd say 90% of the time they do know. So I will ask them what this word vulnerability means, 
and I will often get the opposite of powerful. I will get weak. I will get shy is often one that comes up. I will get not powerful. I will get um, kind of all sorts of those, those types of synonyms, right? And so I say to them, you know, the reason why I've named this class Powerful Puberty is one, so that you do feel powerful in the knowledge of what's shifting in your body and what's to come for your emotions, what's happening in your brain and all of these sorts of things, right? And then I will also talk to them about the fact that in my view, vulnerability is part of this equation of being powerful. And I often get stared at both by the girls and the moms as to um, like a confused look often comes. And so when I explain it further, the, you know, that vulnerability to me means actually being brave and sharing with people what's under the mask, sharing with people what's really going on in your body in your mind, in your spirit, sharing people the things that you often want to be kept in secret, sharing with people things you may not enjoy about yourself, like parts of yourself that you may not um, actually enjoy, although others may not have any judgment of them, but you probably do. Um, and so things like this, I'd start talking to them about how when you go through puberty, it is a very vulnerable time. And so knowing that and being with that and being in this space with their mom, it is my offering to them that sometimes through being vulnerable, you will find power. You will find strength through being brave and sharing things that might seem very hard. You will feel much more connection to yourself and to your parents. And that I often see that this time when breakdowns occur, and there's many reasons for breakdowns going through puberty, but one of the reasons is because there's a vulnerability that's coming up, causing a disconnection inside of the girl, and therefore in the parent and child relationship. And so when I'm talking about vulnerability, I'm talking about power. I see vulnerability as a very um, synonym for power because although it is incredibly hard, even for myself, to be vulnerable, even with those that I love very much, because sometimes there's those shadow parts of us that don't want to be seen. Um, sometimes we're not ready to see them and sometimes they're just really hard, right? That is a human part of a human experience. We all have our own unique ways of how this look and what our shadow is and what parts of us that we would like to put a mask on. We have those different parts of us that we judge and the reasons why we have judged them. Most of them, FYI, are not from our own feelings, but feelings or thoughts that we have picked up along the way that has caused that fragmentation to occur. Right? But most of us will kind of cut off an other. And so as someone who works with women, helping them reclaim a life that feels more full and whole and connected 
you might look on the outside for all of the reasons why you don't feel that way. Life is too busy, this is going on, that is going on, which are real. And sometimes the reason why those things are cultural are life choices, and sometimes it's because we are maybe running away from what's underneath that vulnerable side of us, that shadow, what's under the mask. And so sometimes it seems easier to just keep going along with life as it is and wearing the mask. And part of this ends up in the next story that I'm going to tell is because we don't want to feel our emotions, right? Because a lot of that vulnerability has a lot of emotions that are connected with it. And so the second of the story that happened this week was with a client session. And I'm not going to go into details because obviously that is a confidential space. But uh, what happened in this client session is it happens in, in many client sessions with women, right? At one point in the session, we were talking about emotions. You we were talking about um in particular, the storing of emotions and how, hmm, I guess in a way, how this is disconnecting this person from spirit or God and how this is learned from parents, right? Um, recounting stories, and I can just, you know, I'll just... Uh, take this example and go within my own way because it reminded me a lot of mine so that I don't share any of the client's stories. But this idea that there are good emotions and bad emotions and that definitely, I don't know if my mom would even, if listened to this podcast, would even agree with me. But that, I would say this is how I grew up and I would say even my mom is like that to this day and she just may not be fully aware of how much there is a pushing away of emotions that are quote-unquote bad or that she just doesn't want to feel. And this is no, this is not rocket science. This is, this is found all over the world in many different people and there's no judgment and there is no shame because I do this myself. It is hard to feel emotions that are very big. It re often reminds me of birth and when you're in that big, big place of birth, if you've ever given birth, that transition phase where it all feels so incredibly big, right? And some of us can take that bigness and try and run away from it. Again, no judgment. I have been there one of my births. I definitely was trying to run away from it. It was very, very freaking painful when I did that. And I've also done births where I went into the bigness as if it was... Um, a positive thing that was trying to help me with the growth and the opening. And so that birth was awesome and magical. Again, not judging, they both were experiences and they both needed to be had and I learned a lot from both of them. And the biggest wisdom that I got from what that story that I've shared in my own life and the story from what was coming up with a client was that we don't really that we judge emotions basically that we judge the emotions in fact we don't even judge the emotions we just refuse to feel the emotions we just go so freaking fast so often and if the pandemic has done anything it has made many of us although not all of us 
slow down. It is sometimes amazing to me when I'm trying to schedule an appointment with someone and they have all, like their schedule is chock block full. And I'm just like, wow, that has not been my experience. I was already a slow person and it has just enabled me to step further into my natural rhythm of slowness. Um, yeah. So anyways, that's neither here nor there. But we do, we go so fast that for some of us, I do feel like it's we're trying to run away from our emotions, whether we're aware of that or not. And again, there's no judgment on that because guess what? I've been there too. I totally used to run away from my emotions. I was that child. My mom describes me as like a two-year-old. I used to... Um, when I would get mad or like feel sad or even have a temperature tantrum, I would like grip my hands and clench my butt together. That's how my mom describes me. And to this day, that is a pattern that I recognize in my body. And it's this pattern of kind of like holding everything in, like clenching it all in. Um, and, and that's been part of my story emotion emotionally until it no longer... Until I became aware enough to see that it was not serving me. And part of that was as being a mom. Like, part of that happened earlier. I mean, I got into meditation in college. I did a 10-day meditation retreat. And I saw the difference in my mind, body, and spirit. Um, but really becoming a mom and really breaking down as a mom in my after my third birth, um, it really, my kiddo had colic for six months and not the kind of I don't know I feel like some people say colic and their baby cries a little bit and they're like oh it's colicky my baby literally cried nearly all day every day and most of the night for a good six months until magically one day he stopped and we tried all the things but again another story so that experience just made me get in my body it made me it, I broke down basically and it made me wake up so maybe it wasn't such a bad experience um, to being in my body in such a different way and really experiencing the quote-unquote weakness or vulnerability and just experiencing it all. Like I, I had no guard. There was no energy to guard because there was so little sleep. Uh, there, was, there was the veil was very, very thin. And so it set me on this path of really getting into my body. And shortly after, as I've already said, we, my family and I moved to Maui. And so that was, a, so much space was created for me to step into my body and feel all of those stored feelings. And, and we all have them, right? They're still there from when I was a two-year-old sucking it all in. Like that energy gets stored in our body to eventually be seen and then released. And sometimes that can be really, really easy, and sometimes that can be really hard. But whatever it is, it's vulnerable for sure. Even if it's just vulnerable for ourself, us stepping into our own vulnerability with ourself, or even knowing how the heck to feel an emotion, right? Because we get, <coughs> excuse me, we get so like out of our bodies and live our lives so in this like unconscious space. Again, not labeling it, just labeling it what it is. Like that's the vast majority of us 
um, live 95%, I think is the stat. I don't, I'm not quite sure. It's 90 or 95% of our day in unconscious mode, going from here to there, thinking, 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 but not actually being in our body. And of course, there's a time and place for thinking and all moments actually live in this moment because all of this past stored emotions that you sucked up at some point are still here to this day, right? And so once you literally stop going so much or my experience and my experience of working with others is when I allow them to drop into that space for an hour or an hour and a half with me or for me, like on a daily basis, I'm doing this hours a day, there's just a lot to feel. And sometimes that sucks and it's uncomfortable. And sometimes that leads to vulnerable conversations of being there for, with other people. And it takes a lot of bravery and it takes a lot of courage. And what I know is that the more we feel, the more we become whole because the less disconnected and fragmented we feel. The less like little boxes of all these stored things all throughout our body and our mind and the more like, oh, I shared this part of myself that I thought was bad or this feeling that I thought was bad and I felt it and maybe I even shared it with someone else and I didn't die. I actually feel lighter. That baggage or that weight has been released, right? And so for me, how there's lots of different ways that I take, that I do this myself. Um, and the, the journey that I take with women, but, but breathing is the easiest one, right? Breathing is a way to uh, the now moment. It is a way to awareness, and it is also specifically um, breath work, and there's various different kinds. Breath work is a way to the unconscious and tapping into things that might be stored inside. Um, and sometimes that, you know, for me, I think I've shared, and I did a podcast on breath work a lot, sometime a year or two ago. And I talked about how I shake. So I used to shake. I don't anymore. Like there's a lot of energy being released. There was memories that would come. There'd be tears that would come. And that's a, I think that's a very common experience. Um, another way now that I do it is, is literally just sitting and breathing, not even doing breath work, but just feeling what's arising from my body in that moment. And then being with it. So some days are really, um, I don't know, tense or there's anger or there's whatever feeling is there or unease. Today there was a little bit of unease. Um, and I'll tell you the final story in a moment as to why that is, is alive for me today. And so it's just showing up to those feelings rather than like, okay, this happened and then I'm going to think about how I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to go on my day and I'm going to right? It's like, okay, what happens if you stop and come inside and be with that feeling? And, and what I know, just again, like just like labor, is you feel the feeling, you feel the contraction, and then eventually it releases. And some feelings and some contractions and some labors, those contractions can be really, really long and really, really big. And like, holy crap, are they ever going to end? It seems like there is no break. And there always is, even if it's a second or two. 
right? I had one of my babies in less than 45 minutes. There were still breaks, although it felt like one long contraction. There was still a moment or two for a breath in between. It's a lot of big, intense work very fast. And sometimes when I get down on my mat, that's what I experience. And other times it's kind of like there's not a lot of, well, there's not a lot there. Sometimes there's peace. Sometimes there's giggling and happiness. It's not all intensity, right? There's a lot of gratitude. Um, there's a lot of gratitude when I show up. But that's because there's so much weight and so much integration and so much wholeness, so much love that I can give to those places that I used to never let myself feel or go to. Because it felt scary. It felt like I might die. There's like something that's like you might die. And I know that's not just a me thing because I've heard lots of women say that. It feels like you could die if you feel those big feelings or if you share those big feelings or if you share those parts of yourself with others. Right? And so, so that's just one of the many, many ways that you can. Mostly it's by getting through the body. There is sometimes, you know, I do talk with women, but most of my sessions are the talk, but then the getting them into their body because we can't think our way out of it. <laughs> we have to feel our way through. Um, just like with birth, you can't like, birth happens in the body, not in your head, right? You give birth through your body, not through your knowledge of how the birth process works, right? And so, so this session with this client was all about bringing her into her body so that she could feel more connection. And what came out was a lot of judgment around emotions. And if she's allowed to show her emotions, particularly in front of her little people, her children, like she doesn't want them to be afraid, right, of emotion. And so it really got me thinking about um, this question of like, what the heck are we teaching each other? And what, are, what the hell culture are we creating here? Like, we need to feel our emotions. We need to take a poop. We need to breathe. We need to go pee. We need to drink water. And we have emotions. And we need to feel them. We don't need to, like, vomit them all over each other, right? If I'm feeling angry, maybe you did something that makes me angry, but probably it's something that's arising inside of me. That's how I personally see emotions. That, that it's very little about... Like, even when my kids talk back to me, it's not really that they're talking back to me that's making me angry. There's something about, like, this respect and this, like feeling that I am not respected in the world. Like it's a deep, there's a deepness in there, right? It also sucks. They're not allowed to talk to me. Like I, I wouldn't speak to them that way. They shouldn't speak to me. Like there's discipline involved. I'm not saying, oh, it's all my fault. I'm not like in that martyr place. So please do not hear that this way. It's just like I take ownership for my emotions and therefore for the feeling of my emotions and maybe even for the inquiry sometimes of where these emotions come from and then like the completion of that circle. Hopefully that makes sense. Rather than me saying, you did this, you did that, I'm feeling this because of you and then I'm like again disconnecting from that person, I'm not really getting my needs across, I'm not really getting what I mean across and nothing is being and so in my view, like, I do show my emotions in front of my kids, and I do sometimes judge myself. 
Um, I am definitely known to be the crier in the family because when I feel big things, my eyes spring water. That is just what happens physiologically in my body. And yes, I spent much of my life trying to prevent that and I got really good at it. I could, I could hold it in very well, but I choose not to do that anymore. And I do not think, in fact, I know for certain it does not make my kids feel afraid that life is uncertain or that like things aren't well, because there's a conversation, even with the littlest people in my family about in the correct terms, you know, in like little people language about what's going on and they feel compassion. It's a way for them to tap into their compassion and feel connected to me. Even if I feel angry, I'm feeling angry. Why are you feeling angry? And then we talk about the anger, what's coming up. Again, I might not go into the depth root of like, da 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 da, but I I do share, and I and I never I try not to. And it's actually it's not very common that I ever put my anger upon someone else, and that's what we teach, especially our teenagers, like you know, teenagers feel kind of angsty. And so it's like, they're allowed to feel that angst, but you just can't throw it on us. And so we teach them tools on how to feel it and whether or not they choose to use those tools, that's on them, right? But I give them and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So all of that's to really say to this conversation with this um, client that what was really coming up was emotions, right? This again, back to that being vulnerable. She was even talking about, yeah, that just a lot of vulnerability was coming up and whether that was, and that that was really not being seen as a powerful, um, yeah, I don't really want to give too much more, you know, into that story. Um, it also brought me to this, I got a, a newsletter today from someone I subscribed to, um, that it was her name is Kelly Brogan. She is a author, also a former psychologist, and now does more holistic psychology. And her a quote from the newsletter was, "But the question is natural. Is it the way we've been trained to think about our health? If our bodies and minds are acting up, do whatever it takes quickly to put them back in order." And it really it really kind of spoke to this idea so far that I've shared in both of those stories. Like we are to be, we are to control our emotions. We are to control all of the things, put the mask on. And that is what makes us powerful. Like achieving our success and what actually to define that. I mean, that is a question I, you know, only started asking myself maybe like three years ago, who defines success? Cause I definitely was, was having that being defined somewhere else and it was making me feel very disconnected and like shit, frankly. And so when somebody, some wise woman said to me, well, who defines your success? And I was like, holy shit, I just, I define my success and what is success for me? And so now I feel incredibly successful, right? I feel incredibly successful in the way that I define that. And it, it do, I don't need all of those external things, but sometimes we need that person along the way to point out the ways that we may are blinders, right? They're blinders for a reason because they're in our blind spots. And so sometimes, right, I have my own coach. I have my own coach that comes to me and helps me or my, I don't know if I coach. She doesn't call herself a coach. I don't know. I use that term because that's the thing that people, res like they, that they can mentor. 
is the word I personally use or guide or obviously sole midwife. Um, some people would call this person a coach, but she helps me see my own blinders and I have to be super vulnerable with her, right? But we, we, we don't need to do whatever it takes to quickly put everything in order. It's okay to fall down. It's okay to cry. I even sometimes cry in public. Yes, I am a person who has been known to cry in public and not give a fuck because that needed to come out. Because my tears needed to be expressed in that moment. Again, not throwing it, not throwing it on other people, not being hysterical. Just like I cannot hold the tears in. They fall out of my eyes. I cannot believe we can label or be afraid of like tears, water falling from someone's eyes. But that is often <laughs> that is a very big thing that we could think that this would be cause our kiddos to be afraid. It's not going to, that is a mindset that at one point existed. And I feel like we can evolve from that mindset and we can literally see that we are human beings. And we, again, we eat, we poop, we sleep, and we have emotions and they need to be expressed, right? And so this, I guess, brings me to my final story, which I might have some water spring for my eyes because this is a very real happening currently in my life story. Um, it is a very vulnerable share for me to give to you. I do feel like there is a lot of wisdom that has already been uncovered that, I don't know, I just feel called to share it because I, I try to make myself, I'm like, don't share that. You know, the whole judgment thing. Don't share that. That's too alive. You're going through it, blah, blah, blah. Like I had all these like, it, and they felt like judgments. And so I trust my body when I feel like a, a disconnection happened. I don't do that anymore. I do things that make me feel full and whole. And although this makes me feel sad to share, um, it makes me feel full. Like I feel, I don't really know how better to say it. I am a visual person, so like I often see things um, in my mind's eye, especially when talking to clients or in my own life. And so sometimes that doesn't always come across in a podcast because you cannot see what I'm seeing in my mind. <laughs> Maybe podcasting is not my best avenue of connecting. I don't know. Anyways, um, so last night, about two o'clock in the morning, my oldest kiddo came, who's like six foot two, 16 years old, um, came into my room sobbing. My husband was asleep and he was just sobbing and just fell to pieces in the fetal position upon my bed and just like uncontrollably sobbing and we just, you know, woke up and hold, held him. Um, and we just kept on holding him. And my mind was racing, for sure, of like, oh my God, what the hell is happening? And my mind was going uh, lots of different places. And then I asked for guidance to just drop into this now moment and hold him in whatever big thing was happening for him and whatever emotions, right? Because the mom part, like the part of me was like, oh my God, I gotta fix this, I gotta solve this, I gotta <laughs> make this better. 
And that actually, 100% honest, that never left. But the louder voice became one of uh, stillness, I guess, and just holding him in this space. And so probably a good 90 minutes, no joke, 90 minutes at least happened before he uttered some words. And it came out eventually that one of his friends committed suicide last night or yesterday. And so speaking about vulnerability and emotions, holy shit, and not feeling emotions and not feeling vulnerability and not feeling connection and feeling this intense disconnection and trauma and all of the things, like this girl was obviously in all of those places, right? Living in a culture that values the image versus the reality and the pain and is willing to hold and celebrate an image, you know, I'm talking social media mostly here, which I use and use in a way, but I, I just see a lot of young teens, especially girls and social media and how it affects them in this really interesting way. Not everyone. But it just really brought up for me this idea of the mask. The image, how we value that, and how we don't hold space for reality and pain. Because if we did as a culture, if that was one of our values, then I can tell you that when I was looking up, you know, stats, because funnily enough, my kiddo, we homeschool, He's been writing a research paper and doing a lot of research on depression in teens because he sees a lot of his friends right now incredibly depressed and particularly the girls. And so he's been doing research on this. On, and one of the things that we were finding was in the state where I live in, like there's a 58% increase in depression and anxiety. And not just because of the pandemic, it's been this way for several years now since before and it just really brought me back to this fucking culture that we live in that we don't feel our emotions and we don't allow our kiddos to feel them and we definitely don't hold the space and listen to those emotions as they come up so that they feel lost and they feel alone and now I, I know a bit about this girl's past and a bit about some traumas that have happened to her life that I don't know. I don't know the whole story, but I, I do know that there is this big, what I would say, pandemic <laughs> of us not feeling our emotions and not holding space and not valuing that in our culture. It's like, it's literally like to me and this, I don't know, I'm going to say it. I had this image come to me, so I will put it out there. It's quite graphic, but it's literally like a culture of people who are constipated. We are emotionally constipated because we are afraid of taking a shit, <laughs> like, or that it's going to be a really painful one. You know what I mean? Like, what would a world look like? I guess this is what I start to do when I feel really down about these sorts of things 
One is that I, this is what I do for a job. I serve women and by showing up and just being present to their emotions and not judging them. Because guess what? I've had them too. I've probably had a lot of the same thoughts and I'm not going to judge you. I don't judge me and the shit that comes up for me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm just going to hold space for you. Like that's what midwives do. We don't judge you whether or not you, you, you say this thing at birth or you do this or like we don't do that. We just show up for you. And we walk alongside of you. And sometimes we show you some blinders or give you some support. Like I do that as well. I give tools. I think I lost my train of thought now. This obviously is not a, sometimes I have a little bit of a outline to make sure the points, but this, this one is not, it's very real, very alive. I just think, oh yes, what if? Notes on Hope. <laughs> it's an Anne Lamont book that I'm reading right now. Um, when I get lost, sometimes my hope is, one, holding space for women and doing the work I do, and two, thinking about what if, and trying to actualize that what if in my own life. Because guess what? I was there, and if I would have looked at this person I am now versus the person I was 10 years ago, I, I mean, I wouldn't. You know, I would, I've done so much work and growth that has been so painful and hard at some times and cured an autoimmune disease through it, you know, or at least have no symptoms. Maybe it's there. I don't know. I don't really care. I don't feel it. Um, so what if we actually did show up for those emotions? What if we lived in a world that valued that and like valued that connection, like actual real connection? Not just like, hey, how are you? I remember actually my brother was killed, um, I don't know, 14 years ago now. And I remember having to go to the grocery store. It was probably two weeks afterwards when everyone thinks you should be back to life as normal after such a big event has happened and you just feel like you're just still in it, right? So I had to go to the grocery store because I had a kiddo and I had to, you know, I had to go grocery shopping. So I was, thankfully, at least by myself. Um, and the grocery store lady said, you know, hey, how's it going? How's your day? And in that moment, I said, I'm having a, like a horrible day. I am having a really horrible day. And she just looked at me like I was from Mars. Like, you don't say that to people. And it made me think, like, why do people actually say, hey, how are you? Like, why do we actually say that? to people unless we really want to know how they are. And what if we actually did want to know how they are? What if we actually took the time to connect with each other and see, hey. And if you didn't hear that, maybe my podcast picked that up or not, but that was one of my children <laughs> very much exhibiting his own emotional state. So that's awesome and very fitting with this podcast. <coughs> I don't know, maybe I should wrap this up because I've been going on for quite a long time. Um, anyways, I just think about what if. What if we What if we lived differently? What if we felt those feelings? I just think, I know, because I know with my own work, I know with my, my own husband and our relationship, the more you do that work, the more you feel those feelings, the more vulnerable you are. And again, I get how scary it can be but the greater strength is created and the more wholeness is created inside. And I would like to give that gift to the children 
that are growing up nowadays. I don't want to give them the mommy who bottles it up and has a really nice mask on the outside. I want to give them the mommy that shows them the reality of what's going inside and how I can work through it. Um, and sometimes I, it takes me a few days to get out or through the emotion, right? And that's okay. They see the resolution. I'm not going to blame it on my hormones. I'm not going to blame it on this. I'm not going to blame it on any of the things. I'm going to just really be with it. And so I guess those are my three stories of the week. I do feel like there's something very alive in there that someone out there that is listening to this podcast needs to hear. Um, and so I just want to say I see you. I see you. And yeah. So thank you very much for listening. <laughs> and yeah, uh, if you want to connect with me, you can find me at my website um, or just subscribe and keep listening to these podcasts. All right, everyone. Thanks. Bye.